Hola, soy Andrés Cantor y los invito a ver la Copa Mundial de la FIFA. Vive cada jugada y emocionate con nosotros porque el Mundial lo es todo. Del 20 de noviembre al 18 de diciembre en español por Telemundo y Peacock. and welcome to Pop Screen, part of Geek Show Podcast Network. We are the Geek Show's dedicated podcast for movies by starving all about pop stars, and this is our 50th episode. Wow. Can you believe? I'm your host, Brian Williamson. I'm a columnist for the Geek Show and Horrified, the British horror website. I'm also a filmmaker, and I write inlay booklets for Second Run DVD. I've been joined this week by... Gav Smith, host of the My Favourite Film podcast and also a writer on the side for the Geek Show website. Indeed. Uh, I was recently on My Favourite Film, wasn't I? Just this week, you just gone. Were indeed. Just gone out this week, yeah. 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 Uh, and I, I think I, I was very much in the advocate's role uh, <laughs> when it came to, to talking about David Lynch and Mulholland Drive. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> and I think it's 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 not like you were anti-Lynch. It wasn't. No, I'm not. No, no. I, I've said it before. I, I think David Lynch is a, a fantastic filmmaker. He's, he's a, he knows his craft. Just I get really confused by every film that he ever makes, and I I, I just I can't go back to them because I'm so confused the first time. <laughs> I think that this. Uh, I don't want to like prejudge it, but this might be a bit of a role reversal because I think, like you, I am like you with Lynch. I'm not anti-Prince by any means, nope. but I've never got into Prince. Uh, but this week we are doing Purple Rain, a film which the opening words are, "Ladies and gentlemen, the revolution." Perhaps some Absolutely. thought it was a call to arms, but then it's hard to imagine anyone in 1984 not knowing who Prince's backing band were. They joined the singer on his previous album, 1999, whose worldwide success let Prince, using his newfound clout in a way we at Pop Screen wholeheartedly approve of, by refusing <laughs> to renew his contract with his record label unless they allowed him to make a film, which is absolutely what you should do if you're a world-famous pop star. Absolutely, yes. And and he did it really well. He, in fact, he went through all his career, just not renewing contracts with record companies, but well, maybe get into <laughs> yes, that. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like I should explain uh, I should explain a bit of my, my feelings on Prince, um, which were I do remember his music growing up. I remember him like I don't really remember him at his peak. I remember him in the sort of early to mid-90s. I looked at the Wikipedia page for Prince singles and was kind of astonished to realise that I I could remember every single record <laughs> that he put out in between about 1990 and 1996. Yeah. Uh, so there is that. But it's one of those things. It's one of those things, like I said, about Bob Dylan uh, when we did I'm Not There which is that he has a fan base that is so meticulous that you're almost frightened to get into it. You feel like you, <laughs> you can't listen to a couple of Prince albums and call yourself a fan. You need a much greater time commitment than that, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right, yes. I mean, you're talking about someone who's got, what, 42 studio albums? Yeah, so 13 internet albums and then nine compilations of his greatest hits. He, he got a lot of stuff out there, and that's not including EPs and all the other stuff that he produced. So there's an awful lot of stuff in a very short career. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think I, I got this impression of Prince because, like I say, I, I remembered the songs 
and I remember mm -hmm. them being catchy, but I, I first realized what a, a, a bottomless pit the Prince discography can be. <laughs> Uh, when Q Magazine, which I, I used to read when I was a teenager, um, had a feature where a reader would write in and say, I want to get into this genre or this artist. Yeah. And a celebrity would be picked to give them five albums to start with. And <laughs> one time someone uh, said, I want to get into Prince. What should I listen to? And the celebrity that they picked to explain it to them, what, what, have a guess, have a guess who it was. I, I don't think I can. I mean, it could be absolutely anyone. There's probably loads of celebrities out there that love Prince. Um, no, go on, tell me, tell me. It was, of course, Bill Oddy. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. There you go. I, would not, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that. I would never guess that. That would not have been one I'd guessed. But, yeah. But he, uh, I can't remember four of them that he listed, but I remember distinctly the, the final one that he picked was The Truth, which is the acoustic set on the third disc of the box set Crystal Ball. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, if the starter kit involves the third disc of a box set, if that's what I have to do to get the approval of Bill Oddy, then I'm not interested anymore. Yeah, I, I don't think you need to go as deep as the, the third disc on a box set, to be honest, to get good prints. I think you could probably start with this album. Well, that's um, the thing, isn't it? Because the, the thing that absolutely knocked me sideways was it's not like I was expecting the music to be bad. Of course, I've heard some of the songs on this. I've heard um, When Doves Cry, everyone has. Yeah. I've heard the title track, everyone yeah. has, like them. But I was staggered at how the soundtrack is literally banger after banger after banger. It's incredible. It is. It is. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I realise that's probably not an epiphany for most people. <laughs> <laughs> that guy Prince, it turns out, had some good songs, but <laughs> I was not expecting to love the soundtrack as much as I did at all. Yeah, I must admit, um, Purple Rain is probably still one of my favourite albums. I mean, it's been, what, 1984, and I've probably had it on a a rotation with other albums since that date. I, I go back to this album a lot. I think this is a, as you say, it's, it's a banger of a soundtrack. It's got hit after hit on it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have all of the songs that are in the film, which is something you noticed that maybe we'll get into. Okay. Um, but the Prince songs that are on it are absolute classic Prince songs. Yeah. Yes. I think the, the moment when it clicked was... Because the first one's Let's Go Crazy, isn't it? It starts yeah. off with Let's Go Crazy, which is yeah. a good song. I knew that song. Oh, it's but a great start. <laughs> the, the moment where it really struck me was the beautiful ones, which I hadn't heard before. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, my God, how good is this? Absolutely yeah. astonishingly good. Yeah. 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 I mean, it has to be said, I mean, Prince... Prince was a musical genius hmm. um and no matter what distractors he may have now about how his life was outside of music and his relationships with people and women especially hmm. um the guy knew how to play instruments and how to make music i mean he could play every instrument there was you could yeah. get any instrument he'd pick it up and he'd do it um I believe the only thing he couldn't play was, was saxophone so he sat down in his basement for about four weeks and learned how to play the saxophone so that he could play saxophone himself because that was the only thing he couldn't do i mean if, um, if you're gonna have like one instrument that you don't know yeah. how to play the saxophone is a great choice i think most <laughs> records with saxophone could be improved by removing the saxophone possibly but he felt that he needed to learn how to play it so he learned how to play it <laughs> you know um and i'd say this this album um it's just it is it's just song after song it's great Mm. Um, but it's not the album we're talking about, is it? It's the film we're going to talk about, which is a very different beast. There's a slipperiness between them, isn't there? I think when we, yeah. when you get to the end, and it's not a spoiler to say that it, it ends with two songs played back to back, and it suddenly struck me, oh, hang on, this is a concert movie. 
It mm. might have a dramatic plot going in between the songs, but it is it is best approached as a kind of hybrid concert film, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it, it... See, you, you've said something there that that's kind of makes me think, really? Because is there a plot? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think if you take out the hours worth of songs, yeah, what you're left with is a 50-minute mess. Um, I mean, I am I am a Prince fan. I have been a Prince fan since 1982 when he released 1999, which I always find really difficult, but that's when he released <laughs> yes, it. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, and I think after I heard 1999, I went back and I found his back catalogue, which at that time was thankfully only three albums. Mm. Um, so when Purple Rain came out, 1984, I was, what, 12 going on 13. Um, so when I found there was a film that I could watch with Prince in that, I thought, awesome, except unfortunately, I am blessed or cursed with looking incredibly young. Um, so I couldn't get into a 15-rated film. Right. 12 going on 13. So I had to wait for VHS. Yeah. Um, but was so disappointed by the, the film. I mean, I had the, the soundtrack, and I listened to the soundtrack on a loop when I got it. Yeah, um, but the film's just it. It misses everything. Um, I mean, it was created as a, a vehicle for mm. four bands. There was Prince and the Revolution, mm-hmm. the time. Um, they were at the time the Vanity Six, um, and then Des Dickerson. That was the four bands that basically this was created as a vehicle for. Yeah, the. Vanity Six had lots of issues with Prince. He put mm. them together, um, which left with Vanity, the lead singer, actually leaving, which is why we have now Apollonia. Who? Apollonia. Have fun saying that. Did a um, bit of research here, and there is one of these sentences that only happens when you talk about Prince. No other artist gives you this. Um, <laughs> But Prince saw Apollonia in a TV series called yeah. Tales of the Gold Monkey, where yeah. her character was based on the only person that Prince then trusted to cut his lawn. And you think, yeah, when we did a movie starring Ed Sheeran, this sort of thing never happened, did it? No. Um, no. no that's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. So yes. anyway, she, Apollonia took the, the role of vanity. Mm. in the Vanity Six, so they then became the Apollonia Six for this film yeah. um, and went on to work massive success as a band. Um, but it was basically, that was it. It was a, a board for those four artists, but Prince very quickly, with his band, The Revolution, took control of the entire film, which <laughs> is why, and yeah. I don't think it's, it's, if you look at their marketing and you look at the, the album, the time aren't on the album. Yeah. Apollonia 6 isn't on the album. Poor Des Dickinson, who appears for, um, I think he's on screen for maybe a minute. I was going to ask, who is that guy? (laughs) Which Uh, one is he? Modern is the song that he sings. Right. He's basically just on concert footage, and you see him sort of in the distance on the stage. Yeah. Uh, You don't really see him. Um, And then they go backstage, and it's still playing. The song's playing. I think they play the entire song, Mm. but you don't really see him. Poor thing doesn't he does he's not even in as an actor, he's just on stage for that one song. Um, so as a, a springboard for these new artists, which it was supposed to be, it really only brought Prince to the forefront. It really did. I mean, for years afterwards, I would hear people, uh, most notably Kevin Smith. I saw uh, Kevin Smith's film Jane Silent Bob Strike Back when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a very interesting film to watch if you have no knowledge of Purple Rain, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, it probably is. Because <laughs> there is that whole thread about Morris Day in the time. I had no idea yeah. who they were. As, when I yeah. started researching them afterwards, like for the longest time, I assumed they were a band who were made up for the purposes of this film. No, no, no. They, they, they were a proper a proper band. I mean, they, yeah. did, they reappeared in, in Graffiti Bridge, which is a semi-sequel to Purple Rain. It's right, right. Prince always said it wasn't the sequel, but the fact he plays the kid in it and, you know, Morris Day and the Time are back in it, it kind of implies Hard that it dispute. was. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the prop band they, they made an awful lot of money as a as a band back when what was what's the music was classed as new wave funk, I believe. Eighties okay. American music. I can sort of so. see the funk, but I feel like yeah. Americans just call everything new wave, don't they? I've I've mm. heard Americans have heard like Duran Duran as new wave, and that is absolutely not what the term means in Britain. No, not at all. Not at all. But that's what they called it. It was kind of it was funk, but it was different. It had something yeah. else to it. It had a bit of electric to it and whatever else. So I don't know. That's what they called it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean it's um I can't remember what I was saying. I was saying that, yeah, if you take out the songs, you're left with mm. this 50-minute story. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't well, it's, really... It's interesting. On. Maybe it's because it made so much money, because it did. It made an astonishing it, oh, amount yeah. of money when it was out yeah. of, like, well over 10 times its budget. Yeah. Um, but there's never been a question mark over whether Purple Rain is a movie movie. And when you look at a lot of these 1980s pop vehicles, yeah, that is a question. There are people who will look at um, something like, I mean, films we've done on this show, Jerusalem with the Style Council, or It Couldn't Happen yeah, Here yeah. with the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, yeah. Or what was that one that, there was one that Duran Duran did, I remember. Maybe I'm just uh, thinking of them. Arena. Arena, that was it, yeah. yes. Later spun off into a successful BBC art strand. Um, <laughs> yeah, people would watch those and say, well, it's not really a film, is it? It's like no. a music video that's yeah. turned into feature length. And yeah. I think Purple Vein has a bit more plot than it couldn't happen here. Uh Ooh. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Yes, I think it probably has. It's got a more grit to it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the whole story of um, his abusive father and the relationship with his mother. Mm. Um, but it's glossed over. I think there's, there's very interesting sort of ways of looking at the film um, and the mirroring of the kid, played yeah. by Prince, and his relationship with Apollonia and his dad's relationship with his mum. They are absolutely mirrored. Yeah. Um, there's a control there. But is that the story? You know, it, mm. it, I, I would question... Actually, if, if you were to look at this film, who would you say was the main protagonist? Who's the film about? It, it seemed unquestionable to me that Prince was the protagonist, but then I, I went into this with my knowledge of it was like a few songs I'd heard hmm. and that poster, that poster with yeah. Prince on a motorcycle on bike, against yeah. a sunset yeah. and the, all the text that is on the poster is just Prince Purple yeah. Rain. So you yeah. look at that and you think this is an absolutely classical pop star vehicle. It can't be yeah. anything but... As you say, it is a bit more complex than that. But I don't think it, it is. I don't think I ever doubted that the kid was the main character. You see, because if you think about the, the start of it, where mm. we have Let's Go Crazy, um, which is a, a brilliant song to start any film with, you know, yeah. the, apart from the introduction of, you know, Ladies and Gentlemen of the Revolution, it then starts with his, his praise speech, you know, Dearly Beloved, we are gathered here today. Um, yes, monologue, which is a wonderful monologue for at the start of any song. Um, but very quickly within that, we are introduced to all of the other characters. Notes notably, uh, God, I'm going to have problems saying her name all night. Apollonia, um, yeah, in the the taxi where yeah. she jumps the fair, very quickly finds somewhere to live, and to me, it was setting her up as being a kind of main character because they gave her very quickly a lot of backstory. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of thought, certainly the first time I saw it, actually, it's not going to be about Prince. It's going to be Prince helping someone. Mm. And this girl's come to the big city to make a fame and fortune, to become a star, and maybe Prince is going to help out. Mm. And I thought, when well, the first time I saw it, that's what it's about. And to a certain extent, it is about that, but that all goes somewhere 
pear-shaped in the middle of it because at the end of the day, they want to get in as many Prince songs as is physically possible. Well, that's it, isn't it? I see what you're saying. And I think if if somebody put the script to Purple Rain down in front of you and said, yeah. you know, doctor that, you know, make it better <laughs> from a story perspective, yeah. probably would be a good idea to centre it around Apollonia. But yeah, it, it, it's not that and it can't be that because, you know, Prince is in it. But I, I never got the sense that Prince was an intruder in someone else's story. It's like that, no. that montage reminded me a bit of a sort of cruder version of, um, have you ever seen Magnolia? Yes, yes. You know, the big musical montage yes. at the start uh, of Magnolia to the yeah. to one by Amy Mann, way yes. in seven. I thought it, it's a bit like that. You know, we are being yeah. introduced to our supporting cast here. Yeah. But I never yeah. got the sense that I don't know I, I just felt like if we were being introduced to someone who has a dream of becoming a singer and that was going to be her story it's yeah. a bit weird to do it over this spectacular show by someone completely different oh absolutely but I don't know I think it it would it would have been a better film for it yeah um I mean there's 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 a wonderful story around Morris Day in the time in there as well I can't quite understand why Morris Day would want to hate Prince quite as much as he obviously does and why he wants to be <laughs> this rival to him because their music's very different. Mm. Um, and I don't think the way Prince is with his music, there's no way Morris Day in the time could ever have competed with him. Mm. Um, but he does want to get him off the the bill and get his own female band in there. It's quite an interesting thing, that, because if this was a film full of fictional music artists or even yeah. real artists playing yeah. fictional artists, you know, rather than using their own names, the simplest thing to do to make this story strand work would be to make the kids' rivals completely terrible. You know, you, yeah. you do do what they do in School of Rock where you know that being School yeah. of Rock where they go to the Battle of the Bands and Dewey's old band are like singing this rock ballad called Heal Me I'm Heartsick and as yeah. soon as they do that you just want them to eat shit you hate yeah, them so absolutely. much um, but they can't do that of course because no. Morris Day and the Time are a real band who this film is sort of trying to promote sort of yes <laughs> yes um, and I mean, yeah, the, the, the two songs they sing on it, because it's only two, uh, Jungle Love was, was a big hit. Mm. Not maybe in this country, but it certainly was in the States. Yeah. Um, and The Bird, pretty sure, was even bigger. Um, and, and they're great songs. If you listen to them, they're actually fantastic songs. Um, and Morris Day, certainly from a personality point of view, has more personality to him than, than Prince. I think I would yeah. I would have preferred if he'd been the protagonist and the main character because he's actually got an awful lot going for him. Well, let's, um, let's talk about the, how these people cope with actors because, I mean, Prince, Prince is, is kind of minimal. And I think he, he's sort of... He's obviously not a great actor, but he can get yeah. a long way on being quite mysterious and compelling. Yeah. Um, some of the others... Uh, Shocking, I think, really bad. But I mean, at the end of the day, that it's a vehicle for these artists, and rather than, as you say, get actors to play artists in a made-up band, they've mm. got real bands and gone right act. Um, I think that there's only three ways you can do it. You can either get real actors that can sing a little bit to play mm. the band, and they'll not be brilliant, but it'll work. Yeah, or you can get real bands to play and they'll be bad at acting or you can go the other way where you get brilliant actors who can't sing and dub them with yeah. fantastic singers um yeah. they've kind of gone for the, the second of those and got real bands who really can't act i mean the poor revolution are, are so out of their depth in acting whenever <laughs> they're backstage um wendy and lisa are kind of all right yeah, I thought um, so. I thought they, they kept their heads a bit above the prevailing standard. Yeah. The other two guys just, just look like they don't want to be there and they just will just say the lines and and hopefully people will just think we look good. Yeah. Um, 
that <laughs> it's it's quite terrible, really. But I mean, they try and do things with Jerome and Morris Day, which I mm. think are the the best scenes. Are Jerome and Morris Day? There's the wonderful bit about the passwords. What? Yes. Which is is possibly the best acted scene in the entire film. Yeah. Um, other than the songs, it's probably the best scene. Um, and it's because there's a lovely... Um, there's a kind of Danny Kaye quality to it, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And there's a definite relationship between Jerome and Morris that there definitely isn't between Prince and any of the revolution. Or even Morris, between Prince and Apollonia, to be honest. <laughs> Morris also gets my favourite line of the film, which is uh, his chat-up line, in my bedroom I have a brass water bed, which is amazing. You could <laughs> drop that straight into licorice pizza and people would be talking about what a genius line that was. Yeah. 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 It, it, yeah. I mean, like I say, he, he just reactions he has to things that happen. The looks that he gives the camera are, are brilliant. He's just he's he's got a bit of a comedian in him, obviously, yeah. um, and he shows it very well. He must have he's got a great stage presence. I mean, I have seen him when Prince did the graffiti bridge tour. The time we're with him, so I mm. did see the time live, and definitely um, the times set that they did yeah. before Prince came on was actually better than Prince's, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Prince let let the British public down. He did a a forty minute set. Oh man! And when you've been waiting all day in Manchester and probably in the ground for two or three hours, the time came out and did a good half an hour, which was fine because there was support act. And then Prince comes on, does forty minutes, and then he's gone. It's like right, okay, yeah, that's unacceptable. But reminded me a lot of this film. You know, halfway mm. through the end of a, a song he's off and he's off in the backstage already and they're finishing off the set on the stage without him um i don't know the, 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 he he's said that this isn't a biographical film i think no. there's an awful lot of prints in the kid i mean i i can imagine but i i can i think you would struggle to see uh, Purple Rain as a realistic portrait of Prince's no. struggle to make it in the music industry because yeah. one thing that and this sounds like a criticism but I don't care really, it's part <laughs> of the fantasy of the whole thing, but can you imagine the kid fitting into any kind of local music scene anywhere in the world? No, no I can't because <laughs> I, I was like when he comes on and he's starting Let's Go Crazy my first thought was ah this is the story the kid is a superstar that must yeah. be what it is because you know yeah. part of it's just the quality of the song you cannot play a song like that and have people not believe you were a superstar no. but but he's not, isn't he? He's in a. He's just like one of a series of acts who play a medium-sized bar in downtown Minneapolis, and there's like yeah. a bit where he's doing computer blue, and he's like shirtless, and he's got baby oil all over him. Right? <laughs> I've been to a lot of pub gigs. I've been to a lot of open mic nights, and let me tell you, listeners, they are not normally that exciting. No, no, I. I... <laughs> I have never seen a small band, a small indie band who have got no fans in a, a small club play anything like that. I mean, he's climbing on the stage. He's yep. gyrating his body all over the place. He's he's um, stage diving by the end and being pushed back on the stage and just cool with the whole thing. It It's not a normal performance. It's a superstar performance, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I guess by that point, he was a superstar. So yeah. that was in him. You know, I think there are, we did Slade in Flame recently on this show, and that is a very good example of taking a band who then were like arguably the biggest band in the country yeah. and making them into a struggling band on the way up and having it work. But you can just about do that with Slade, but you cannot do that with Prince at all. And that's fine. You know, I don't yeah, mind. The, the only way you could do would be show more of his home life. To not mm. start with him on stage, to start him with him at home and show where he's come from. Um, not let him wear his outfits that he would wear with these massive purple coat and these wonderful <laughs> white shirts and whatever else and put him in something else and have someone yeah. build him to that. Yeah. Um, but I guess 
there's an element to the film that the, I guess the whole point of the film is that um, you need someone else to help you in this industry. Mm. Um, I think that's sort of Prince's arc in it. Because I think there are, I always said there's not much story. It's probably because there's too much story in too little a time. Because there's yeah, yeah, Prince's arc is about Prince's arc is about him saying he can do everything himself, which he did. You know, his first three albums, he really recorded all himself. He played every single instrument on it, whatever else. Night night nine, he gets the revolution involved because he's got to go on tour. Yeah. And that's the only reason why he had a band, because you can't go out on tour and play every instrument yourself. It's just not physically possible. So mm. he gets a band. And his arc in this is basically saying, by the end of it, he, you know, he gives credit to the rest of the band, says this is a song that was made by whoever. Uh, I think it was when he released this song that he, he says it is. Um, it is, yeah, and I want to come back to that because I think that's interesting. But yeah, keep going. Yeah, so that's his arc. Is I've got to have someone to help me in this industry. I can't be a star without other people. And that's mm. his whole story. Um, at the same time, there's Apollonia's story, which is she wants to be a, an artist, wants to fall in love and whatever else. She yeah. does that really badly because falling for Prince was the wrong thing to do because he's he's a, he's a shit, is the best <laughs> way to describe him. Um, he, he is not a good a good boyfriend in any way, shape or form at no. any point during this film. Um, but she gets to be in a band, she gets to play a song, she gets to be famous, arguably. She gets to be happy at the end. Not really sure. Um, and then there's Morris Day's story, which kind of just starts and finishes and doesn't really end. Yeah. It's just there in the background. And, and that's what that's what I mean. There's there's no real story. There's there's three stories that don't go anywhere. But I think as I'm saying, if if you'd taken bits of those stories and made them something else, just taking Prince's arc and saying, right, he's a boy from nowhere, look at his background, look what he's got. And then he becomes the big star at the end. And you could even end it with, let's go crazy instead. Mm. And it would be a better kind of story. I, say, I could rewrite it very, very easily. But... It's strange, isn't it? Because as we were saying, part of the uneasiness about developing these story arcs is because these are real people. And yeah. so you can't have Morris Day in the time being all-out villains because the no. film wants people to buy their records. You can't have yeah. Apollonia go commercial and make absolutely dog shit music yeah. that betrays her vision because the film wants you to buy that record. Yeah. The metal yeah. that it grasps, though, is the one... Like, I think if this was done now, those story strands would be properly developed and you'd see yes. you'd see a version of the Apollonia story arc, which is very similar to those oft-debated bits in the recent version of A Star Is Born, where Lady yeah. Gaga's character ends up being like manufactured and playing sort of chirpy disco pop, and people yeah. are saying, "Are we meant to see that as bad? Given that that's basically her day job, you know." There's, yeah. uh, but you know, <laughs> credit to it for going there. Yeah. Um, but the bit that I would expect the artists involved to be most nervous about is the bit that it absolutely dives into, which is, as you say that it portrays Prince's character as a really unrepentant bastard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. From, from the moment he meets Apollonia through to the very end, even that very end scene, you think, actually, is he that nice? Mm. You know, the, the whole um, cleanse yourself and lake, whatever it was. Yeah, um, yeah. And make that undress in front of him. And only when she jumps in the water going, oh, no, that's not the right lake. It was yeah. very, he knew exactly what she was going to do, but he let her do it anyway. And mm. it, it's just, and the whole pulling away on the bike before she can get onto it and things. Yes. It's yeah. Like, once is funny, by the fifth time, it's not funny anymore. You've now got to stop and let her get on. And it doesn't want you to see it as funny, doesn't you? Because as you mentioned no. at the start, this is explicitly paralleled with Clarence Williams playing his dad. And yeah. his dad is a very nasty, abusive yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his dad is seen as very, very controlling. I think he says to at one point, you, you stay in the house, you don't go anywhere. Yeah. You stay here, you clean, you make my food. That's it. Um, I think he calls her a sinner as well. Can't quite remember, but there's definitely a a religious mm. subtext there somewhere. 
um, which I which think is... comes from Prince's background as well. I was going to say, yeah, because um, one of the things I don't really know much about not being a, a, a real fan is that Prince obviously has this very complex relationship with religion that this has, you know, yeah. Let's Go Crazy is full of Christian references. Uh, yeah. I Would Die For You is full of Christian references. Yeah. Uh, and then there's also Darling Nikki, which if, if there were any Christian references in there, I must have missed them. Uh, so he... He occupies this very strange space in uh, the intersection of religion and American pop culture, and I don't really know how to pass that. Uh, you see, Prince has got a strange relationship with absolutely everything in the world. <laughs> right, I think that's, that's part of the thing. You know, it, through his his career, you know, he cited himself as being pretty much every religion there was at some point in time. I think yeah. at the time of his death, he was Jehovah's Witness. He was, yeah. Um, but he also cited himself as being every gender possible, mm. which is one of the reasons why his symbol was a, a mixture of the male and female symbol. When he, you know, when he lost his name, because it was owned by the record company, yeah, and he had to turn himself into a symbol for two or three albums, it, it's, that was to do with the fact that he, he didn't see himself as male or female. You know, he was he was in that sort of ballpark that we're now talking about now, where people don't see themselves being female enough before anyone even thought you could be non-binary or anything yes, like that. Yeah. Um, but having said that, he always had relationships with women, as mm. far as certainly people outside were concerned. So I don't know. And that's but, yeah. sort of that that's part of the prince appeal at this point, isn't it? Because yeah. This is very early on in the oh, yeah. AIDS crisis. You know, it's yeah. a very homophobic time, the early 80s. Yeah. There's no way that you could have had an out gay singer no. Uh, no. reach the kind of level of celebrity that he had. Yeah. Um, but with, with Prince, it doesn't feel like a cop-out, doesn't it? I suppose when you say it out loud, you realise, well, it, it sounds an awful lot like he's dancing around it and sort of acting a bit oh, camp, yeah. but then saying, oh, well, no, then... I'm a ladies' man, really. But no, it's not like that, is it? No. no I mean, if, if you go back to Controversy, which was, what, two albums before, mm. um, in that he was, you know, am I black or white? Am I straight or gay? Yeah. Um, these were lines from the song. So he was already talking about that type of stuff at, the late seventies, yeah, when he was first coming up as a, an artist and making his own music, so it's not something he'd ever hidden. He wanted people to question what he was, and he didn't want people to have a a, a clear idea of what he was. And he, that's why he reinvented himself so many times. You know, he, mm. he probably reinvented himself more times than Bowie did, mm. and Bowie pretty much reinvented himself every single album. But when you've done forty-two albums, yes. you reinvent yourself for every album. That's a hell of a lot of times. So, yeah, the whole religion thing is something that he he messed with an awful lot, an awful lot. And yeah. that, um, it started to come to a head towards the end of the 80s when, let me see if I've got this straight, he had an album that he was going to make as his female alter ego, Camille, and he got cold feet and scrapped it. Yeah. And then he released Love Sexy, which, as yeah. you would expect from an album called Love Sexy, he said was a gospel record. Yes, obviously. Obviously, as it, yeah. <laughs> I think most gospel albums have, like, pictures of the singer naked inside a giant flower on the sleeve. That's how they're marketed. Absolutely. I have many gospel albums, and every single one is like that. The whole <laughs> collection. Yeah. <laughs> No, this is this is he, one of the things that I think actually is maybe a reason why Prince has such an obsessive fan base is that there is a great degree of fun to be had chasing down those lost albums and things that never get released. Because, you know, I'm a Beach Boys fan. They yeah. basically started that tradition yeah. of the, the secret masterpiece that you can only get on bootleg. So I, I do yeah. get that appeal. Yeah. Well, I mean, now that he's he's died um his estate there's so much stuff that his family have now picked up from his estate mm. you know they've re-released um sign of the times 
and 1999 on four CD collector's editions. Mm. And those extra three CDs aren't like you'd expect oh, early demos of the songs. They're all completely new songs. Yeah. They recorded at the same time as the main album, but he didn't feel they were worthy enough to go on the album. And so, how do you feel about that? Because I know a few Prince fans <laughs> who are kind of like, you know, it's, it's nice being able to hear this stuff, but when you think about how carefully he controlled his image during life, it's like... Yeah. Well, it, it is. It's that thing of he obviously... I think I said at the start, I think he's a musical genius, or he was a musical mm. genius. Um, but he knew what was good and what was bad. Yeah. And when he released an album, generally, as with this, it was an album full of bangers. Mm. And every song you wanted to listen to. So he picked those songs they didn't want to put on because, well, they just weren't good enough. Yeah. And I have listened to, I listened to the, well, all four discs of the Sign of the Times, which took a long time to get through, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but the extra four, three discs, they were mediocre album tracks. Yeah. The things that you don't expect from Prince. Prince's mediocre album tracks still could be a single and outsell most people's best works. Yeah. You know, um, so when you get three albums worth of stuff that's not quite like that it's like well actually i, I don't want to hear that anymore um yeah i honestly think it's a state should just be left now and just what what's out there is what's out there that's what he thought was good enough to release leave the rest of it i think they've released seven albums now posthumously so his estate yeah. have found seven albums worth of stuff that he hadn't bothered releasing um, if they keep doing that every year, releasing another album, which I guess they can, because they reckon the vault's got about 5,000 songs in it that have never been released. Yeah. Um, you know, it won't take them, it'll take them a long time to get through 5,000 songs with only 15 songs per album or whatever. So I don't yeah. know, I think they should leave it. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, isn't it, where I, I, I don't know, maybe it's a coincidence, but I do think this sort of thing is very racialized as well, where when a, a legendary white artist dies young those reissues are very carefully poured over and staggered yeah. and it's ensured that yeah. the market isn't gutted and when it's a black artist it's like oh we've got a dictaphone clip of Tupac like mumbling a couplet <laughs> that he was going to record properly later let's bung it on a single and get the cheeky girls to guest on it that should be a hit um, <laughs> Although you say that, and how many songs has George Michael managed to release since dying? I don't know, you know actually, because it, I'm it's not about four, that... It's about four or five. Is it? And some okay. of them are actually, they've literally taken words from songs that were released whilst he was alive and <laughs> reworked them into other songs. They've almost sampled him saying the word the, or the word love, <laughs> and got them together to make another song. Yeah. Um, and some of them were part finished works that they reckon they've then done that to make them full finished works. But, you know, it, it happens all the time. Someone dies and they've got an estate and they've got stuff left over. So why not? Um, it is one the of those with, things. With the Beatles, that... John, John Lennon was, you know, the release. I can't remember which, which song it was now. Free as a bird, wasn't That's it? it? Yeah. 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 You know, it, it, it's something that they do because they can. But Free as a Bird came out in the 90s. Like they, they took oh, yeah. 25 years to start scraping the barrel like that. Whereas, yeah. like yeah. I say, when it's Prince, when it's Tupac, when it's anyone like yeah. that, it is, let's start hauling this catalogue out immediately. Yeah. And it's it reminds me, I'm sure I've said this when we did the episode about Amy, but one of the great heroic acts in pop music for me is that when Amy Winehouse died, Raphael Sadiq, who was a producer on, like I would say, about half of the released music went through him. Hmm. Uh, he burnt all the master tapes he had of unreleased music because he said, look, she was a ridiculous perfectionist. She would yeah. have hated this going out when yeah. she was alive, and I really don't want it to go out when she, yeah. she was dead. Yeah. And and I think Prince, from the same point of view, that's why all of his master tapes, he owned all of his master tapes. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that was the whole, the whole thing with Warner Brothers, mm. was, you know, when he became a slave and he wrote, wrote slave, slave on his, his face. Yeah. Um, the most efficient form of protest. Absolutely, absolutely yes. Yeah. It worked so well. 
Um, that was all because he believed that all artists should be in charge of their own masters. So if you leave a record company, your master tape should go with you because it's your work. It's yeah. you that's put the time and effort into it. So you take that stuff. And he did pave the way for other artists to be able to do that. Mm. And he did get control of all his own masters. So all of his masters are down in the, the basements of Paisley Park. Yeah. Um, and now his family have got control of those. They're the ones doing it. He would never have done it. And you do think if he'd been given the time, would he have destroyed those masters himself to go actually too old now i'm not doing anymore i'll get rid of them but you never got a chance to because well maybe he would have yeah i mean like we were saying earlier there were whole albums which he announced yeah. and promoted and was starting to get ready and it's like what's that whole thing with the black album was it called the was legendary that... black album yeah um well that one was was an album he made pre-1999 so the album 99 rather than the year yeah. Um, <laughs> so both, really, yes, if we're, uh, yeah. Um, but it was released. Uh, he released it. He wanted it released because he decided that it was an album that he'd publicized. He'd made a big deal out of at the time and it was going to be released and then was never released. So he forced the release of it later on when he was, he was big enough to do so. Mm. Um, I mean, it's actually quite a good album. Yeah. It was promoted as being hey look this is something that you've never heard before it's by prince let's have a look at it um it's not his best album yeah um but it, it was certainly released as a you know the legendary black album rather than just the black album which is what it would have been if it had yeah. been released way back when it was originally released or supposed to be released yeah that was there. There is a bad history of uh, calling your album the black album it, it is possibly cursed because like <laughs> could be the KLF were working on something called the Black Album when they split up in exceptionally weird circumstances, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and they like removed all of their records from circulation. Um, yeah, and of course, there's the Black Album by Metallica, which was cursed yeah. in that it was an album by Metallica. <laughs> Rumor has it that if you bought it, you you had to listen to Metallica. Oh, imagine yeah. that. Yeah, that. That's some <laughs> curse, isn't it? <laughs> Indian burial ground shit there, yes. But yeah, to, I can't to, think what we're up to now. <laughs> to drag this slightly back round to the movie. <laughs> to the film instead of talking about Prince, yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoyed talking about Prince there. I, I think watching this film, whatever yeah. you say about it as a film, the, the music has made me realise that I could be a Prince fan. Yeah. I, well, I think, especially this film, I think if you asked anyone to name, you know, 10 songs by Prince, mm. at least four of them would be on this film. Yeah. Because I think most people go, well, when doves cry, purple rain, let's go crazy and I would die for you. Straight yeah. off. There'd be no problem. Now, that's four that are on this yeah. film. So when you consider that the back catalogue he's got, that you'd probably pick those, then you'd probably get 1999 would come out somewhere along the line. Diamonds and yeah. Pearls might come out, you know. Bat dance, obviously. Yes. Um, but four of his best songs are on this this album, so yeah. in this film, and he does a fantastic live performance of every one of those songs as part of the film. Well, there was there was one other song, as you say, uh, those songs are incredibly famous, and I was familiar yeah. with them before I watched the film. There's one other that uh, I can't remember if I'd heard it, but I knew it by reputation because it has this extraordinary place in musical history uh if you've ever wondered listeners why there were those patronizing little black and white stickers on the front of your records warning you that there may be swears in this it's basically because of darling nikki isn't it <laughs> yes what was it? I first met Nikki masturbating to a magazine. Was that, is that in the a first hotel line? lobby? Which sounds yeah. sounds to me yes. like this hotel has very poor standards. Like there's no yeah. very, very <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it was Tipper Gore, Al Gore's ex-wife, who heard her kid playing that and hit the roof. 
and decided yeah. not as most parents would do to you know ground them and confiscate their prince albums for a week or yeah. whatever yeah. Uh, but to launch the parents resource music council and to have these hilariously time-wasting senate sessions where like frank zappa and alice cooper were called in to explain why the dead kennedys were, were called into to explain yeah, why they given a, a post of, of a HR Jiger print called Penis Landscape away with uh, one of their albums. A really dumb time in uh, musical yeah. history, I thought. It was. Yeah. And, and then, then through the whole of the rest of the 90s, we had, as you say, those black and white things with parental advisory. Yeah. Explicit lyrics stuck over everything and every single Prince album, obviously. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which you, and you couldn't peel them off either. They were there and they were stuck. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of songs. I mean, even Computer Blue starts with Wendy and Lisa talking about it's the bathwater warm enough. Um, yes. And Prince has always had a thing about bathing with people. In mm. a lot of his songs, he talks about getting in the bath and whatever else. So it's a a, a recurring theme. But there's something to it that's more than just the having a bath. You know. Yes. The girls getting in the bath together. I'm sure they're not just washing, but yeah, it's and... the old joke about the nun looking for the soap, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but they're the only two that are like that. Mm. Um, but there's a lot, even in the rest of the songs in it. There's a lot of. He's always very sexually explicit in all the songs. Even mm. let's go crazy, you know, pick up the phone, drop the floor, and. <laughs> is all I heard. I can't sing it because I'm not going to try, but there's a <laughs> definite thing in there that there's something going on at the other side of the phone that we are unaware of. Yeah. And he knows exactly what's going on, and it's in every single song to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that you mentioned earlier that I was kind of curious about where you said that you, you've tried to get in to see this at the cinema, but your youthful yep. charms uh, yeah. made it <laughs> impossible for you to get past the door. That's why I have a beard now? <laughs> Just so I look older. <laughs> yes, if you shaved it off, you'd still, people would still be patting you on the head and giving you a Haribo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was this one of those films that kids would talk about in the playground? Because it feels like that. It has that feel where it is it is kind of your gateway to grown-up movies. Do you know what I yeah. mean? I mean, certainly, I I think I actually first saw it because Channel 4 got a hold of it very quickly. Because mm. um, in the 80s, they could get films like this very quickly. And I think I probably saw it late night Channel 4 rather than on VHS. Mm. Um, and then it was definitely something we talked about. Yeah, um, in the playground because everyone was talking about you know Apollonia getting in the the lake at the start because you know yes there was breasts on screen you know <laughs> yes um and then the the weird foreplay scene between Prince and Apollonia later on which is completely pointless from point of view of the film because mm. there's so many other ways you could play that scene you know they spent the night together yeah. why shows this weird I don't know dancey foreplay thing that they do and then just cut to the next day you know they yeah. never show you anything more than that but it certainly those scenes were ones that hey did you remember, you remember that bit when that happened but yeah it was talked about um but i think i i, I tried to go and see the cinema and it was very much a case of it's 15 and you're just you know getting in yeah and that was fair enough i got turned away and went to see something else can't remember what was on but i would have seen something mundane and boring instead <laughs> probably that was probably a better film actually worthwhile spending my money <laughs> well i don't know man 80s multiplexes I'm, I'm not one of those guys who venerates 80s hollywood so it was it was probably terrible <laughs> well, to be honest 80s multiplexes didn't exist where certainly where i, I grew up there was oh, there was three yeah. screens our local cinema had three screens so if Purple Rain was playing one place there was only two other movies that were going to be on so who knows no, that's a fair point yes <laughs> Yeah, I remember yeah. Middlesbrough got our first <laughs> multiplex sometime in the early 90s. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. probably about right. <laughs> mm. We didn't have cinemas the same way back then. They were big places. They had curtains that opened and closed. Did I mention that? Projectionists, everything. I know. Yeah. Someone behind you, you could shout that if the film wasn't going well. It was great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. 
so yeah, I think it's interesting that we've sort of met in the middle on this, that you watch this as like a huge Prince fan and thought, eh, the music's good, but the film isn't really holding up. <laughs> and I watched it as someone who did not expect anything particularly from a, a Prince musical and thought, I don't care about the film, but this soundtrack's fucking incredible. Um, <laughs> and, and we've sort of, yeah, like I say, we've sort of met in the middle on that, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, poor, poor Prince, you know, it, it, as I said earlier, twice a couple of times, I think, uh, he, he's a, was a musical genius, but he mm. was never an actor. Mm. Um, and he tried several times uh, underneath Beneath Cherry Moon. Yes, the first Bridge. screen credit of uh, Christopher yeah. Scott Thomas. Yeah, um, he never really was an actor. Mm. Uh, he should have stuck to music all the way through. Um, it, musically, he's he's great. And this film, I probably, I, I think I have now seen it twice. Yeah. So to say I'm, I am a big Prince fan, to say that I've seen what is supposedly his biggest film twice. Mm. So once when it came out, or once when it got on the Channel 4, effectively, and then for this, I watched it a second time. Yeah. And the reason I've ever gone back to it is because I'd rather just listen to the soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely. Because I can get yeah. everything I want from this film by just putting on the album and listening to it because everything I want from it is on the album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. Um, but sort of one interesting bit that I, I picked up earlier that I wanted to mention is that when he, he plays his final set, he does credit yeah. Wendy and Lisa yeah. For the, uh, and that is such an interesting moment for me because he has been so dismissive of every yeah. woman around him for the whole yeah. movie. And I know that some people criticise the film for this. I'm sure if it was made nowadays, it would be treated very differently. But I think that is a yeah. moment of... That's an arc moment, isn't it? That's a moment of awareness that... It is, yeah. yeah. His redemption comes from actually valuing the input of the women he works with. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's the whole thing I was saying that the the prince or the kid's story is about him realizing that he needs other people to help him mm. make music. Yeah, um, and that is him saying that in not too many words. It's bizarre that he picks that song as being the one that is the one that Wendy and Lisa wrote. Which one um, was it again? It's it's Purple Rain. Oh, it is Purple Rain. Yeah. I, I thought I so, misremembered that because I thought there's no yeah. way that, that... Yeah. Yeah, so he dedicates it to his father first off, yeah. which is fair enough. Um, and then he says it's written by Wendy and Lisa. And then you listen to it and think, why would they write that song that he could then dedicate to his father and actually work quite well? You know, the... The opening lines of "Never meant to cause you any trouble, never caused you any pain." It, it it makes sense that he would be singing that to his father. Yeah. So why would Wendy and Lisa have written those written those words? But that it's would interesting. Fit so perfectly to, there. It's another area in which this film is kind of interestingly a bit off the mark in working as a promotional tool because yeah. you would think that there would be some like undistinguished funk workouts that he could credit yeah. to the backing band and then when it comes to the crowning moment the thing that the film is named after yeah. that's his personal statement dramatically that should be how it works yeah and even if by dedicating to his father he'd been able to go back because obviously as part of the film he finds all his father's music mm. um, after his father fails to commit suicide but he's no longer in the house yeah. He finds all the music his father's obviously written down. His father must have been a great musician at some point, and they do kind of mention it briefly mm. about um, the kid being just like his dad. Um, even if Purple Rain had been a reworking of that piano piece that he starts playing. Yeah. And he could then go there, dedicate this to his father. This is based on his piano piece, and yeah. then you go into Purple Rain. And one of the other songs, be Wendy and Lisa's, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know which one. Because I'm pretty sure, do they finish with? It finishes purple with I rain. Die for You, doesn't it? Uh, well, it's Purple Rain, then, then Baby I'm a Star. Yeah. And then I Would Die for You. Now, I Would Die for You is a line that his father says to his mother after hitting her and mm. he walks out the door. So obviously, there's a connection there. Mm. Um, Baby I'm a Star, I could see 
being a song by somebody else. Of course, yeah, it's it's less personal, yeah. Yeah, but the other two just don't don't work as being the songs that the rest of the band have helped him write. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> it is very weird. Uh, I feel like I can only side with one of our preeminent film critics, FBI agent Fox Mulder, uh, when he said <laughs> that Purple Rain is a great album and a deeply flawed film. Yeah. Yeah, I can go with that. Hmm. And I have to ask you about the guitar at the end. Yeah. The very end, does that guitar come on the audience? Is that the point of that bit? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe. He strokes it and something shoots out of it and then he turns to the camera and the credits roll. And <laughs> just a bizarre scene. Yes. Yeah, that is very strange. No, I'm putting that out there for everybody else in the world to decide. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I think that covers it. Would you say? I think so. Yeah. I would say if you want to become a Prince fan and you want to get into some Prince's music, mm. Purple Rain's a good place to start. And then I'd move to Sign of the Times. Um, yes. Yeah. I was Sign, of Times about is, Sign of the Times is a big album, but it's certainly got some fantastic works on it again. It's really worthwhile listening to. And then Around the World in a Day. And after that, you can go with any of the songs because you've got the, the best three albums are there. Oh, that's um, interesting. I don't hear people talk that much about Around the World in a Day. Well, Raspberry Beret is on is Around the World in a Day. Is that right? Right. Well, well, I love Raspberry Beret. It's, it's one of the most that... joyous things I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. You're at that point in his career. So that's... Some of his best songs are around that area. You know, when yeah. you get into the sort of mid-90s and you get into things like Get Off, you're in a bit of a different a different world of Prince there. I mean, I um, like that stuff because I remember that yeah. stuff. I like Get Off. Yeah. I like uh, Diamonds and Pearls, yeah. Most Beautiful Girl in the World, all yeah. that stuff I think is yeah. smashing. Yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. They're all brilliant. But mm. uh, his, his early works, if you're going to start with him, you, you start with those early works and then you build yeah. the other stuff. Um, he's got some amazing stuff out there. And as you said earlier, you know, Bill will be saying, go for the third album on the box set. Um, I would really leave that until you've listened to everything else because yeah. there's so many just good songs out there that you could listen to quite happily. You know, just pick up on the compilations, to be honest, and listen to his greatest hits. And you'll get a really good idea of who he is as an artist. Mm. And then you can go back over album tracks and go, yeah, you know, these are the good album tracks. Let's have a listen to these ones as well. Um, one of his best album tracks that nobody ever has heard of is Starfish and Coffee. Um, ah, I'm going to surprise you. I know oh. Starfish and Coffee because <sighs> it, was, it was covered by Soul Wax once. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Go. I mean, it is it's a good song. It's just a bizarre little song about some girl that brings starfish and coffee in for a, a lunch. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a fantastic break in the middle of Sign of the Times because it comes after, I think it might actually be after a couple of depressing tracks on there. Yeah. Um, so it just lifts everything for a second, which he does really well. He'll go from slow, depressing almost music to absolute banging house tune that just makes you mm. go, yeah, okay, I'm with that now. Yeah. yeah. Or he'll do it in the same song. I mean, take beautiful ones, as you mentioned before. It's a, a lovely song. But then to end it the way he does with the shouting and screaming and the, the wonderful guitarists and stuff. Yes. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I banged on again there. <laughs> That's good, though. That's what I want. I mean, there's got to be, there's, there's got to be, if you feel guilty about it, we'll do a payback episode where I drone on about an artist I love that you're not into. Uh, set, send me suggestions and I'll make you sit through it. Right. Okay. I'll have to have a look now. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything else I was going to mention about it. I think I was going to mention about the, the, the ill treatment of women through the film, because mm. I think there is a, a strong thing in it. And I said earlier about Morris Day in the time being the kind of the comedy sidekicks almost, and Jerome and, and Morris being very, very um, funny in places. But there's a point in it that I just have to mention because it's so bad. And it's the mm. thing that makes this film 
one that you probably should stay away from a certain point in these days and age where a woman comes up to Morris Day and basically tells him off for the fact that she stood him up. Mm. And he just mentions Jerome Getter and they drag her off down an alley, physically lift her up and throw her into a trash can. Worse than that, they then lock her in the trash can and then walk away as if that's it's all right. And it, it's it's the most bizarre thing. And I can see that it's got a kind of comic bit to it that, you know, they've just picked her up and chucked her in the bin. But they lock her in there. And that makes it no longer funny and no longer all right. It is fucking and- weird, that bit, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't mention it because I assumed there must be something I've missed there. Did we see that character earlier? No. no. Okay. Yeah. No. And I think it, that sort of, it colours, things like that sort of colour the viewpoints of people when they come to the other things in the film. People don't really appreciate that Prince is, that the kid's big sort of, moment of redemption is when he credits Wendy and Lisa because yes. you've got this sour taste still in your mouth. Yeah. And I mean he's already he, obviously we see his father hitting his mother. You see Prince hit Apollonia. Um it's all there. Mm. And that's blatant. But this one's just kind of it's in the background. And they don't really dwell on it at all. It is it's almost like the director and writer thought this'll be funny. Yeah, yeah. Um but then it is funny to a point until the lock, like I say, until they lock her in there. Because if they just left it with her open, you know, chucked her in there and they go, it's like, oh, it's a bit funny. And she, they can even cut back to her and she's climbing back out. It would then be amusing. Still not right, but it'd be amusing at least. You could you could appreciate that as a joke, as something yeah. that was like light in tone. Yeah, locking her yeah, in is, is weird. Lock her in there. <laughs> yeah. She's still there now. <laughs> She'd never go back to it. Yeah, but I think Morris Day and, and the, the Times story arc in this is just completely lost. Mm. Um, that there, there doesn't seem to be a need for that part of the story. And I think it, it's a shame that they weren't used more. Um, maybe that was very maybe that was some of the cut material where like yeah. at the end he would learn that it's bad to lock a woman in a bin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was it. They go and open it up and go, come on, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, we're having a party in here. Yeah. Come and do the bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just, just felt that needed to be one thing that was mentioned because it I was think, yes, it, it so strange and so of its time because I think in the 80s, it, it was probably fine. Yeah. And it was I mean... acceptable to a certain extent, but it's just, it's not now. And yeah. we need to be aware these things are no longer acceptable and we do not condone them in any way, shape or form. <laughs> Listeners, if there's one lesson that you want to take <laughs> home, home from this episode, it's that you should not lock women in bins. Absolutely. Yeah. Never, never lock a woman in a bin. Well, if you enjoyed what you're listening to and you want more moral instruction, uh, you can get an exclusive episode every month on our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash The Geek Show. We are giving up to release our next Patreon exclusive uh, early next month. Stay tuned to find out what that's all about. Uh, you can stay informed by tuning into our social networks. Um tuning into our social network <laughs> it's late listeners i've turned into your granddad you can subscribe <laughs> to our twitter instagram and facebook feed we're on all of them at tgs underscore the geek show but until next week uh that's been your lot from pop screen i've been graham and i've been gav and we'll see you next week bye-bye